Matthew. And this week we are in Matthew chapter 13. And if you want to follow in your pew Bible or in your Bible at home, I don't know what page that is, but in the pew Bible it's page 818. And if you want to follow along with us on the screen, you can do that too. Matthew chapter 13. And we'll just get to verse 17 today. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes They have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. These are the words of our Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, reading this, it's hard to even know what you will do with a text like this in the hearts of your people. It's hard for me, Lord, to know what you would do With a text like this, a hard text like this, in the hearts of unbelievers. And yet you have given us this word so that we could hear it. And you've given us your spirit so that we could understand it. And so, Lord, far be it from me to not preach it. Let your words speak to us this morning. Give us understanding. In Christ's name, amen. Well, prior to studying this text, I had always assumed, probably like many of you, I'd always assumed that Jesus' parables were nice illustrations. Right? Good stories. Jesus, best preacher ever because of his genius at telling stories. And then I read this passage. And then I read it again. And I read it again. And I had to keep studying it because I figured I had to be missing something here. I'd always thought that these parables were supposed to be good illustrations. But Jesus seems to be telling us The parables aren't there to illustrate a point so that more people would put their faith in him. Instead, he tells us that he used these parables to intentionally obscure the nature of the kingdom, at least for those who had already rejected him. 
And for others, particularly the disciples, the parables, once they're explained, key word, once they're explained, they are meant as a sort of, kind of an apologetic, a defense of God's ways, a restating of the things that Jesus has already taught his disciples. And and they're delivered to them in such a way that it's not that they hear them as like an encyclopedia entry. It's a different type of knowledge that Jesus is giving them. He's giving them a sense. That's what stories do, isn't it? They give you a sense. And that's what these parables will do for the disciples. And that's what we're going to see over the next several weeks as we hear Jesus' parables. We're going to see further hardening against Jesus for those who oppose him. And a greater sense of how the kingdom of heaven operates for those who trust Jesus. That the parables are the great divider between these two groups. And here's how we're going to break that up this morning. We're going to see it kind of in a, a four-act play. If you're, if you're taking notes on the paper that you brought yourself. <laughs> Act one, the parable and the question. The parable and the question. We're going to see that in verses one through ten. The parable and the question. And then act two. The mysteries hidden and revealed. We'll see that in verse 11. And then act three, the judgment and the righteousness of God in verses 12 through 15. And then finally, act four, the closing act, the blessing and the grace of God. And we see that in the last two verses, verse 16 and 17. We'll start with that first one, the parable and the questions. In in, in 13, verse 1, look there with me in the text. Please follow closely in the text this morning because we're going to see some hard things and I want you to know it's not me saying it. It's our Lord Jesus Christ saying it and we can trust him. So chapter 13, verse 1, Matthew tells us, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. So, so, remember last week, he was in a house, and he's teaching about his true family. Now, the same day, he goes outside the house, and he sits down beside the sea. And he's not about to do a, a photo shoot for his Instagram. He's about to teach. That's what sitting down indicates. Great ca- crowds gather around him because they see him sitting And they know he's a teacher, and he's sitting, he's going to teach. That's why they gathered around him. And since the crowd is more than 250 people, look at the rest of verse 2. He got into a boat and sat, and the crowd stood on the beach. Again, he's sitting. Matthew Matthew is very, he doesn't have to give us that, that verb, does he? But he does give it to us, because he wants us to see Jesus is going to teach. But he's got to do it from the boat this time because of the size of the crowd. Now, the last time in Matthew's gospel that we saw Jesus sit down to teach before this time was Matthew chapter 5. I don't know if you remember that, but that was the Sermon on the Mount, that famous sermon. He goes up on the mountain. Matthew says he sits down and the disciples gather around him. And, And in that teaching time from Jesus, we get this Very nice, very long, detailed sermon. And in in that sermon, he gave us very direct teaching. He told us what it meant to be blessed or happy in the kingdom of heaven. He, He told us about what it meant that he was fulfilling the law and the prophets. He taught us that true righteousness goes all the way to the heart. He taught us in that sermon to honor marriage and love our enemies, to give generously. He taught us how to pray, how to fast, how to trust in the Lord. He taught us how to not be anxious. And, and all of that teaching was very direct, very direct, lots of application, lots of relevancy to our everyday life. Great sermon. And before that sermon, and even after that sermon, he had been preaching. Matthew tells us he'd been going about the countryside preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Very direct, very clear message, very clear meaning, right? 
You can't misunderstand that message. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. So you can imagine, given that that's how we had been hearing Jesus, that this time everybody is ready to hear more teaching about the kingdom, more teaching about the law, more teaching about the gospel. And this this edgy new teacher is in town to teach them. And so everybody gathers around to hear him and he opens his mouth to teach and they're, they're waiting with bated breath. And what happens? Well, instead of clear, direct teaching, he tells them this obscure story. A wasteful farmer is scattering his barley seeds from the satchel around his waist and he's tossing seeds all over the place everywhere he goes and he's so careless That some goes on the road, some goes on the bad rocky soil, some goes in the thorn bushes, and some goes on the good soil. And and then what happens? Well, everything you would expect to happen, happens. Anybody with common sense knows what's going to happen in that story. The seed that goes on the road ends up as bird seed. The seed that goes on the rocks grows a little, but it doesn't survive. The seed in the weeds grows up, but it's choked out. And finally, the seed on the good soil takes root and it, and it bears more grain, bears more fruit. Nothing shocking there. Such is the fate of the careless farmer. And that's it. There's no explanation of the story for the people sitting on the beach. That's the lesson. No direct teaching, just a cryptic farm story. And all the people are hearing Jesus' teaching and they're waiting for the hammer to fall, Right? Right? Where's the punchline, Jesus? They've all heard he's the best teacher. He teaches with authority. He teaches the law as if he wrote it himself. He's way better than the scribes. He's in our town now, and he's by the beach, and he's so cool, and we get to go hear him. Let's go hear him. But they don't get a punchline. Nothing but this story. And you can, if you're reading this, you can feel the awkwardness. And so what happens next chronologically in Matthew is that the timeline skips over to verse 24. All right, so if you have your Bibles open, you can see that there's sort of a a parenthesis, not visible, but it's there. What happens between the, the parable, the first parable and the next parable is actually in the future, probably. So chronologically, the timeline skips ahead to verse 24, and Jesus tells them another parable, the parable of the weeds. And then in verse 31, he tells them the parable of the mustard seed, and then the parable of the leavening. And then in verse 34, Matthew says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. So understand this. All the people on the beach heard that day was a series of parables without any explanation. And then in verse 36, Matthew says, then he left the crowds and went into the house. So so you need to see this. Nobody got saved because they heard these stories. Nobody put their trust in Jesus Because they heard these stories. No one on that beach listening to Jesus teach from that boat was even helped by Jesus' teaching that day. It is, if you understand this passage correctly, one of the strangest days in Jesus' ministry. And so it's either after all those parables were taught, or maybe, we don't really know, maybe it's in the middle and there's like a a lunch break or an intermission between the parables. That's when the disciples ask that question in verse 10. Look at verse 10. Why do you speak to them in parables? And you can imagine why they're asking him this question. They've been following Jesus. I mean, just put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples or the sandals of the disciples. They've been following Jesus. They believe there's something special about him. And at the same time, they have this sneaking doubt that all of this could suddenly go sideways. Granted, the the opposition that Jesus is facing, right? 
But, but they're, they're excited because now Jesus is teaching again. That uncomfortable confrontation with the Pharisees from a couple weeks ago, that's over. Now Jesus is doing what he does best. And now more people are gathering around and the disciples are thinking, yes, now's your opportunity, Jesus. Strike while the iron is hot. Do it just like the Sermon on the Mount. Make hay while the sun shines. Build your movement. Sway all these crowds to your side. All you need, Jesus, is a really good, positive, and encouraging sermon, and you got them. And what does Jesus do? He tells these unhelpful stories. So the disciples ask him, What are you doing? Why are you teaching them in parables? A modern day church growth strategist might say, You're ruining your opportunity, Jesus. Your strategy for church growth is terrible. Why are you doing this? And Jesus responds to their question in verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me. Look at the text. And this moves us to act two of the story we're seeing here. The true story unfold. Act two, the mystery hidden and revealed. What Jesus is going to do here is repeat for the disciples what he taught them back in chapter 11. In chapter 11, verse 25, he said, the father had hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Do you remember that? That, that truth about how the father is, is sovereignly overseeing the inauguration of the kingdom, that the teaching from Jesus that the father chooses who will receive the kingdom and who will not receive it, Well, that truth hasn't changed in two chapters. And it will not change through the rest of redemptive history. That that foundational teaching is now being built on, illustrated by Jesus. You could even say that Jesus' use of parables is a parable in itself. It's, It's being used to illustrate a very important kingdom concept to the disciples. Look at verse 11. And he answered them, To you, who is he talking to? He's talking to the disciples. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom in heaven. But to them, who's them? The people on the beach. To them, it has not been given. That's very, very, very similar to chapter 11, verse 25. The Father has hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. To you, it has been given to know the secrets. To them, it has not been given. You see the two categories he's working with here? Two groups of people. And by using the word secrets or mysteries, as we see there in uh, verse 11, Jesus is saying that the knowledge of these things belongs to God. So these secrets of the kingdom, they belong to God. And it's his prerogative who he gets to reveal them to. No one, by their own intuition or investigation, can uncover saving knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. It has to be revealed. It has to be revealed by God himself. That's why Jesus calls these things secrets. Everywhere in the Bible where you see that word mysteries or secrets, those are God's secrets, as we saw in Deuteronomy. The the disciples then, this is what they're hearing from Jesus. Listen carefully. Jesus is telling the disciples in this moment, you are the chosen ones who have been given understanding into what's going on here. Everyone who has rejected me will continue to have these things hidden from them. Look at verse 12. For to the one who has, that's the disciples, they have the knowledge of the Messiah and the coming kingdom. To them, more will be given, he says. More will be given and they will have an abundance. What that means for us is they already believe. As a result of the Father revealing 
this bits and pieces of the kingdom to them, they already believe something. They believe that Jesus is one to be followed. And as they follow him, we see throughout the rest of the gospel, they learn more and more and more and more. More about who he is. And we'll see next week, very clearly, a a literal following of this passage. They get the parables explained to them. So they have the kingdom, they have an understanding of the kingdom, and more is given to them because the parables are explained to them. No one else gets that privilege. They already have been given some knowledge. More will be given in verses 18 to 23. Look at the second part of verse 12, though. So that's the disciples. The second part says, But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So that the have-nots, those to whom the kingdom has not been revealed, revealed and, and and you should know this in the old testament the have nots do you know who they were the gentiles they were the gentiles those who did not have god's kingdom those who did not have the presence of god with them and so jesus is taking that language haves and have nots and he's applying it within israel those who have the kingdom of christ has been revealed those who have not It has not been revealed. And what happens to them? Even what he has will be taken away. So the have-nots, those to whom the kingdom has not been revealed, they also won't get to hear the explanation to the parables. So what we see in our text, they didn't get to see. So for them... You've got to understand this. For them, the parables, they, they don't help them. They just lead them to greater confusion. So if anybody walked onto that beach that day with a little spark of curiosity about the true identity of this Jesus, that spark is taken away. It's taken away by the confusion that these parables bring to them. And by now, you're probably thinking, Dustin, that doesn't sound right. (laughs) That that just doesn't sound right. And I get it. It doesn't seem seem fair, but but you have to to remember what's happening here. Don't take this text out of its context. Remember the context of this passage. We are in the middle of a battle. Jesus and the kingdom of God breaking into the world on the one side and the Pharisees and the devil and the kingdom of the world on the other side. Nobody's neutral here. It's not like you have humanity in the middle being fought over between these two kingdoms. God on the one side and the devil on the other and humanity in the middle. There is no middle. There's no neutral ground. The stark Reality of the kingdom of heaven is that if you've not been brought into the kingdom of heaven, you are a citizen of the kingdom of the world. And so by nature, your heart is bent against God. Your desires are anti-God. You don't want him. You don't want anything to do with him, at least not the true God that's revealed in Christ. There's no neutral ground here. And as we saw in chapter 11... Though many are brought into the kingdom of heaven, none of us deserves to be brought into the kingdom of heaven. It has to be revealed to us by the mercy of God. So so parables, then, serve as God's righteous means to harden those who have already rejected Jesus, thus sealing them for judgment. And Jesus remains blameless in this because he's still telling them the truth. He's still telling them the truth about the kingdom. They're hearing the truth in these parables, but they can't understand it. He's not lying to them. They see the truth, but they don't see it with understanding, so they aren't led to repentance, and because they won't repent and believe, they will one day receive God's righteous judgment. 
And we see this in our third act. The judgment and the righteousness of God. It begins here in verse 13. Continue to listen to our Savior here. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. The they, lest we confuse things here, the they in this verse is those who have not been given knowledge of the kingdom. Their hearts have not been softened. Because God has chosen not to reveal the secrets to them. And they've continued to reject Christ. Right? And that word continued is important. You see, there's a long history here. A long history. A long history of Israel rebelling against God. There's a history of them seeing God's redemptive work and shrugging their shoulders. And turning from God to worship idols instead of the one true God. And Jesus is saying here, that long history is being fulfilled In Deuteronomy 29, Moses is about to send the people of Israel into the promised land with Joshua. And Moses says to them, you remember that? You've seen the signs. You've seen the signs. You've seen the glory of the Lord. You've seen the redemption of the Lord. And yet, God, the Lord, has not given you eyes to see and ears to hear. And since... They don't have understanding from the Lord. They need a warning. That's what Deuteronomy 29 is. It's a a chapter-long warning. It's a covenant with a warning to keep these people keeping God's commandments, lest they face His judgment. So that's Deuteronomy. In Isaiah, God is sending the prophet to Israel to warn them of pending judgment for their idolatry and to call them to their repentance. And in Isaiah 6, this is the message that God, from his throne room, gives Isaiah to preach to the people. He tells Isaiah to preach, I'm going to warn you, but you're not going to listen because you haven't been given ears to hear, essentially. And so Isaiah has the the difficult, lifelong task of prophesying to a people who will not listen to him. And Isaiah even asks later on in Isaiah 6, Lord, how long do I have to do this? How long do I have to do this? And the Lord tells him, until all the cities are laid waste. Essentially, until my purposes are met. Until nobody's left. And so now Jesus is telling us that prophecy from Isaiah 6 That prophecy that Isaiah spoke to Israel, seeing you won't see, hearing you won't hear, that's being fulfilled again, and this time it is terminal. Look at verse 14, look at the text. Jesus says, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. And then in verse 15, he's still quoting Isaiah here. He's still fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah. For this people's heart, so speaking of Israel in Isaiah's day and of those people on the beach right there listening to him, these people's hearts have grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. You see how the people are responsible here for what's happening? They have closed their own eyes. Their own hearts have grown dull. They are responsible for their sin. Jesus has come to Israel as the ultimate revelation of God to his people. But in their sin, they have willfully rejected him again and again. And so Jesus speaks these parables to do what? To seal their fate. Look again at the second part of verse 15. This is where Jesus gives us the, this is where the hammer falls. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and he would heal them. According, listen, according to God's righteous will, Jesus is speaking in parables 
And so, by speaking in parables, he's intentionally further hardening their already pride-hardened hearts so that they will not repent. And you see that in that phrase, lest they should. It means so that they won't. So that they won't see and hear and understand. I'm going to speak to them in parables. It's hard, isn't it? This is not, this is not our, our typical felt board Jesus. We've got to remember the story, though, the way that Matthew's telling it. These parables are not the first opportunity that these people have had to receive Christ. This is not pioneering mission work by Jesus going to an unreached people group and then just telling them parables. That work has already happened. That mission work has already happened. The people of this town have seen Miracle upon miracle upon miracle, they've heard the call to repentance. They've been given all the evidence that they need that Jesus is the Messiah. This is Capernaum. This is Jesus's, this is his base, his home base. And he's already told us that if the works that he did in this town, Capernaum, had been done in Sodom, the Sodomites would have repented. He, he told these people already in chapter 11 that Sodom would have a more merciful judgment than that what they've got coming. And even after that glaring warning, which should have terrified them, it should have terrified them, they should have repented, even after that warning though, Jesus does more mighty works for them. More has been shown. More is pointing to him as the Messiah, and they've still rejected him over and over and over again. And all they've got to say is, show us another sign. Show us another sign, Jesus, and then we might believe you. And Jesus is saying, enough. Enough. You've heard my teaching. You've seen my miracles. You've heard my warnings. And now, you are receiving the hardening that you have longed for. God is turning them over to their own desires. You see, the parables are not a last-ditch effort of Jesus to try and sway unbelievers. The parables are the nail in the coffin that they made. The parables are the warmth of the sun that hardens off those who had set their own hearts in concrete. And they're the first sparks of the flames of judgment that these people have demanded through their own willful rejection of Christ. And because of that, we have no right to question Jesus' method of teaching here. We have no right. In fact, we need to see this as, 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 as Gentiles who've been brought in. You need to see this. What Jesus does here on the beach by teaching in parables is the necessary means that will one day bring the gospel to you and me. What happened on that beachhead was all a part of God's sovereign plan to bring the gospel of the glory of God to the nations. Israel's rejection of Jesus as the Christ will eventually lead them to crucify him. And Peter says that event, that crucifixion, is a part of God's foreknowledge, it's a part of his definite plan. Jesus' mission was to be crucified. That's why he came. And those who rejected him on this beach in Capernaum, and those who will one day oppose him in Jerusalem, they are his death squad. So we've got to understand, as difficult as this is, that hardening was a part of Jesus' mission. Because if he's not crucified 
the sins of Jesus' followers and future followers, those whom he is bringing into the kingdom, they can't be atoned for. So what Israel means for evil, by rejecting Jesus, God has meant for good. And so through speaking in parables, he's sealing their rejection and setting in stone their rejections so that Jesus can go to the cross. Do you see that? Now it's true, and we'll see this, and as you continue to read the Bible on your own, you will see that some who have hard hearts in Matthew 13 will have their hearts softened by the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 on Pentecost. On that day, 3,000 souls will repent and believe. And as the gospel continues to spread in Israel, thousands and thousands more will repent and believe. Many will repent and believe after the death and resurrection of Jesus and the sending of the Spirit. Many will, but not all. As good as good as the story is, as redemptive as it is to see many turn from rejecting Jesus to receiving Christ, many of those whose hearts were set into stone by these parables will not ever believe. In fact, some of them will go on to persecute Christians. And those persecutions will drive Christians out into the world. And those who rejected Christ, they will live to see the seizure of Jerusalem and they will see the destruction of the temple that God had left long ago and they will die in their sin and in the hardness of their heart and they will not receive eternal life. But only instead judgment from the Ninevites. What, what do we make of this, church? What do we make of God's purposes in this? Is this just? Is he good and holy and righteous in hardening those whom he could have softened? After all, he, he softened the disciples. He led them to faith. He softened thousands in the book of Acts and he led them to faith. God, by his power, could have saved anyone and everyone in Israel if he so choose. He knew exactly what they needed to hear to repent and believe. And he gave them parables instead. Why? Well, in Romans 11 the Apostle Paul addresses this very question for us. In chapter 11 of that letter, in verse 7, Paul asks this, What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were, look at that word, hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Now, now the elect that, that Paul's talking about here are those whom God has revealed the truth of the kingdom to, and he's opened their eyes and their ears, and then they can understand it. But there are some, some whom Paul says God gave a spirit of stupor to. Those to whom God gave eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear. And the Roman church is wondering, just like we are, what's the wisdom of this? They want to know just like we do. And so Paul's telling them, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so you keep reading in Romans 11, and you get to verse 11. And Paul says that through their trespass, the, the there, the pronoun there, refers to Israel. Israel's sin, their sin of rejecting Christ through their trespass that came about by their hardening from God, through that righteous act by God, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's us. 
so as to make Israel jealous, he says. And then you keep going in Romans 11. And in verse 25, he says, Lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. There is that word mystery, hidden, now revealed. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until, so it's not forever, praise God, it's not forever, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The hardening will one day be relieved, won't it? One day Israel will see the light as the light, but not until the fullness of the Gentiles are brought in. So you see what Paul's doing? He's already proved to us, you read Romans 1 through 10, and you see Paul, without a doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt, proves God's justice and righteousness. But his, rest, his righteousness, his justice, that's not what's in focus here in chapter 11. It's his mercy towards us that he wants us to see here. So, combining these things, we can understand it this way. When Jesus spoke in parables on that beach in Capernaum, he was setting in motion the hardening of his own people against him. Why? So that through the providence of God, the gospel that he preached would one day come to us. You and me. In order to fulfill that long, long, long ago promise to Abraham that through Abraham's offspring, the nations would be blessed, Abraham's nation had to first reject the offspring. But before any of that, before we were showed mercy, we're going into Act 4 now. Before any of us were showed mercy, the Father showed mercy to Jesus' disciples. They were the first to receive the knowledge of the blessing of the presence of God in Christ with them. They were the first to have the kingdom revealed to them. So look with me at verse 16. He says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Just like those disciples, when your eyes and ears see and hear the good news as good news when they, when they see and hear the beauty and the hope and joy of God's unfolding plan of redemption your eyes and ears are made happy because they get to, to see and hear God's glorious kingdom and how just how blessed are these disciples well Jesus tells us more blessed than anybody else in the history of the world. Look at verse 17. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So, so not only do the disciples have a greater privilege than those who are under God's judgment here in our passage. And that should be obvious to them. They've been given something that they didn't deserve they, they should have a, a fear in their thanksgiving. They should be trembling in the presence of Christ now, seeing his power, seeing his authority. But in verse 17, Jesus wants them to see just how great a privilege they have. They have been given something that the prophets didn't even get to see. They have been given... Something that Moses and Isaiah and David and Elijah and Micah, all of the prophets who would be saved by Christ, longed to see these secrets revealed. They longed to see who the Christ was going to be. Think about the, the strength of what he's saying here. Moses met with God on a mountain. And no one else had ever experienced that before. Jesus is saying, your experience is greater than that. Isaiah just speaking of Isaiah 6, Isaiah was scooped up and brought into the throne room of God. And Jesus is saying, what you get, disciples, is greater than that. Those prophets died before they ever saw the glory of God in the gospel. But these disciples, Jesus' true family, these these lowly fishermen and a tax collector and a, and a zealot, 
according to the will of God, these nobodies get to see the things that all of the Hall of Fame heroes of the nation of Israel long to see. These little children, as Jesus calls them, these little children have truly received God's greatest blessing and his, and his abundant grace. And so for you today, what does this mean for us? Those of us who have received Christ, well, this same truth applies to us. Blessed are our eyes and ears because they see and hear the good news as good news. God, according to his good pleasure, he has ordained that we would get everything, all of it, everything that Jesus' closest followers got. We get the parables and we get those explanations next week. All we need to hear, we need, all we need to be saved, we've been given by grace. And most of all, we have the Holy Spirit to help us understand all of this, how any of this works at all. That's a gift. Blessed are our eyes and ears. But for those of you who have not received Christ, for, for you whom the, the very thought that God would get to be the one who writes his own story of redemption, that deeply, deeply, deeply troubles you the thought that Jesus would do anything judgmental, what right does he have to judge anyone? That shakes you to no end, and it gives you a, a sense of bitterness towards Jesus. Friend, I want you to know, whoever you are this morning, that uneasiness that you have towards God's power and his authority over his own creation, that feeling that you have of resistance to him, that should be a sign to you that you are in rebellion against him. I, I understand that there is a part of you that wants to worship him. That's why you're here. You have braved the elements. You've risked contracting a virus to come and, and hear from him. So there's, I know that there's a part of you that wants to respond to him in faith. There's a part of you that wants to submit your all to him. But that resistant part of you, that little corner of your mind that does not want God if he has the freedom to harden hearts like he did on that beach, that thought should tell you you don't know him fully yet. You don't trust him yet, not as much as you think you do. You want to. I know you want to. Oh, how you want to, but you don't, you don't understand his glory yet. You, don't, you have not submitted to his authority yet, and you don't know yet just how much of his mercy you need to be saved. To you, this is my message from this text to you this morning. Trust him anyway. Stop trying to explain away what is made plain for you by our Savior this morning. When you think he's somehow being unfair to these Pharisees and Jews by speaking to them in parables, just trust him at his word. Trust him. Trust his goodness. He is love. Look at how much he gives the disciples that he loves. He will give them not just the explanation of parables. He will give them his life. He is wisdom. Look at how masterful his plan was to get the gospel to you this morning. Think about all the ways that he has kept you and he sustained you through all the trials that you've been through, through the mess that you've made of your own life, through your sin, which you know should have already destroyed you. 
by his mercy, he has kept you all the way till now so that you could hear from Jesus today and know that he's trustworthy. He is just. He is righteous. And how do we know? Look to the cross. Look to the cross where God's righteous judgment was poured out not on you, but on Jesus Christ, the Son. He is merciful. He is merciful. And he has been so merciful towards you. He's been so patient towards you. He has continued to speak to you clearly through his word. Week after week, every time you come, every time you open up your Bible, you hear him speaking. Don't close your ears. Don't harden yourself against him, lest he harden you further. Trust him. Trust him today and for the rest of your life. From now to eternity, grow. Grow in your understanding of just how great this God is. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, your people, are listening for your voice from your word this morning. And so we thank you for speaking to us. Lord, I do pray right now for anyone whose heart is hard towards your authority. Teach them, Lord, not through parables, please. Teach them through very clear conviction that they need to repent and follow you. Show them the love of Christ to them this morning. In Christ's name, amen.